Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Anthony Taylor here. I'm the managing partner at SME Strategy, and this is the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, where we interview experts and thought leaders from around the world and get their perspectives on leadership and how to drive organizational performance. And today, my guest is Michael Laylor, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Trellis Supportive Care. Mike, how's it going today? Good. Excellent, Anthony. How are you? Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to chat. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and your body of work that leads you up until today? Surely. My name is, you said, Mike Laylor. I'm the chief medical officer of a large hospice and palliative care agency in North Carolina called the Trellis Supportive Care. I've been a clinician for about 22 years and in the last 10 years or so of my career transitioned into the area of physician leadership as opposed to being a direct care clinician. Awesome. And so, you know, through that transition, what would you say are the, I mean, call it parallels, but you know, similarities and differences between being a clinician and being in the type of leadership for clinicians? Yeah, there's a lot of parallels. There's skills that carry over to help you make uh, become an effective leader, but there's also a lot of things that are very the opposite of what makes a good physician. And I can highlight a couple of uh, examples of both. So one on the parallel side, things that can make you good as a physician that make you a good physician leader. In my field, a lot of what we do was having difficult conversations. I focused on an area of care that's a little unique, end of life care. And a lot of what we would do there is delivering bad news, clarifying goals of care, aligning someone's goal of care with a realistic treatment plan. And as I started transitioning into areas of leadership, I found that a lot of those skills were exactly the same. Delivering bad medical news is very comparable to giving someone a performance evaluation, potentially telling them that they weren't quite meeting their objectives, division rearrangements. All of that is a very comparable skill set. Now, on the other side, a lot of people think that because they were a good physician, that potentially it will make them a good physician leader. And I think that a lot of the things that make individuals good physicians actually make them bad leaders. So much of being a physician is about your individual performance, being the best of the best. You know, I'm the smartest person in the room and I'm going to let everyone know about it. And those are things that will serve you very poorly as a leader. Oh, I definitely want to ask that because I find that there's some people who are good practitioners and business owners. Often they're good at delivering. But then when it comes to the leadership, it's a whole different set of skills and attributes. So I'm curious about that. But I do want to ask, like, really, from a practical standpoint, do people in medicine, were you trained on saying, hey, if you're going to give somebody bad news, like here's the framework or here's the structure or here's the kind of mental state I put myself in to deliver arguably uh, on one hand, some comforting news, but on the other hand, like very difficult things. So how do you do that in a way that's effective? Yeah, I think in general in medicine, it's likely done poorly. I think we can do a better job at it. 
I mean, it's kind of brushed over. There's not a formal structure inside of most medical school training, but my specialty really revolves around that. So if you ended up doing something where you have more of a clinical interest, there's great training available for you. And exactly like you said, there's very structured ways of having a lot of these conversations to make sure that you're able to deliver the news in a way that will be received well, that you can tease out what's really important to an individual, how you can pair this with things that are realistic based on where they are. So there are resources available. I just wish they were more widely diffused across all of medical training. Mm. Is there one tool or one approach or one consideration practically that you'd want to give to our listeners, whether they are or aren't in the medical field? Most certainly. Like one I, I turn to quite frequently is something called the SPIKES protocol. And what the SPIKES protocol is, it's a mechanism of delivering less than favorable news. Doesn't always have to be hardcore bad news, but something that could be emotionally difficult, a challenging conversation is a great framework. And what the SPIKES protocol is, it stands for setting, perception, invitation, knowledge, emotional response, and then next steps. And what this is, it's a way to, to really communicate this news in a non-threatening manner, get the point apart across and recognize the individual's needs. So setting, if you're delivering bad news, whether it be in a medical situation or a work situation, you don't want to do it in a big room. You don't want to do it where it's noisy, where there's distractions. If you were delivering news that was really emotionally charged, you may want to be prepared for having tissues in the room, comfortable sitting, making sure that it's lit, perhaps putting yourself at eye level to someone. If it's going to take time, take off your jacket. So really make sure that the setting is appropriate to receive the knowledge. The next thing is so often people go into a conversation, whether you're a doctor or a leader, thinking that everyone has the same understanding that you do about the situation. You make this assumption right out of the bat that doesn't do anybody well. So the, the next part, the P, is perception. You ask the person you're speaking to, what's your understanding of what's going on here today? If it was a business setting, maybe what do you think we're talking today? Are you aware of what went on? This way you can see what their understanding of the situation is beforehand and not jump to conclusions. Next part, the I, is an invitation. Just want to make sure it's a good time to have this conversation. Anthony, unfortunately, you got some bad news to deliver. Is this a good time for you? Um, really making sure that it, it, it's something that they're, you, the other person in the conversation is prepared to receive. If it's one of your coworkers, they may be busy, facing a deadline. They may say, Anthony, I got to talk to you later. You know, Can we do this another time? Or no, this is a good time. Can we can sit down? Knowledge is simply delivering the information. Anthony, I got some bad news. You know, we talked about your performance goal for the last quarter. You're nowhere near it, whatever it may be. You deliver it. You're factual. You're not accusatory. You look to get the other person's understanding of it, but you're delivering the knowledge that you intended to do. If it's really, really bad, the next part is the E, emotion. And you need to expect an emotional response. Prepare yourself and have some potential positions ready in order to have the discussion. Someone could be angry and very accusatory to you. You gotta know how to deal with that. A lot of times in a medical setting, we're gonna deal with someone who's you know, emotionally upset, crying. How do you respond to that? And there's some cues, there's some things you can do to tease out the emotion. You seem upset, 
this information seems upsetting to you. Can you explain further? So you go through that pathway and then you set up the next steps. Okay, based on what we talked about today, Anthony, you know, here was your performance goals. We didn't get here. Here's the improvement plan we put into place. Let's follow up in a month. So you got to have the next steps of follow up. Otherwise, you're just dumping something in the lab. I have found that tool to be so helpful in my career, in my personal life. You know, hey, hon, I got something I need to talk to you. Is this a good time? Suppose just walking in, you know, with the living room and, you know, kids are doing bad. I got to go. It really is the the dealing with emotional response is an excellent tool no matter what you do. Yeah, I love that. Like I've I've actually never heard that one before. So setting, perception, invitation, knowledge, emotional, and then next steps. So having a framework, you know, some people overthink to themselves. So if you're one of those overthinkers, you know, think, hey, it's like methodical, you know, I don't want to be prescriptive, but in order to be effective, you do need to have a framework and every single, it's not like a pilot just goes up in the air and saying, eh, I'll wing it this time. You need to have that system. Two things I thought of with this one was the movie Moneyball. He has to come in and tell somebody he's traded. There's a system to say, hey, just like be aware, make sure you sit down, make sure you're professional, tell them the next steps. And then they get grounded in that done well. The guy reacted well. One that didn't go well was that CEO recently that let a bunch of people go through Zoom fairly coldly. He should have listened to this podcast before doing that. And I think he probably would have dealt with less backlash, but I really like that. And I think it helps the listener because at the end of the day in your role, especially in those situations that are arguably, and I've been in those situations, they're, argue, they're the most challenging things you're ever going to experience in your life. And so really having a framework so as the message deliverer, you can be as helpful as possible to the receiver in one of the most challenging times they're going to have in your life. Any other thoughts on that, uh, Mike? Yeah, that I, one, I would agree that CEO definitely failed the S part. <laughs> Zoom <laughs> is not the right setting for that. But what you highlight there, Anthony, is another excellent point, which is leadership is not about you. It's not about the way I'm going to perform in that room and how I deliver the message. The reason why we do this is to make the message well-received by the other and actionable. So this is really, you know, you do a little better, but you're doing better by doing better for the individual you're talking to. If it's a patient, making them more likely to follow the plan or have a better understanding of the plan. If it's an employee, helping them with their growth, their development, potentially being retained. So it really puts the focus on the conversation where it should be, which is the other person. Hey, sorry to interrupt. It's Anthony here again. I just wanted to let you know if you're enjoying today's episode, I'd love it if you could give us a review and a comment to let us know where you're listening from. It means a lot to us. It helps us with the algorithm. It also helps us get into the hands of more people so that we can keep bringing great guests onto the show. So please do that. Also, if you or your team are planning a strategic planning offsite coming up, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to see if we're a fit to facilitate, to support you and your team getting on the same page and getting clear about where you want to go. So you can visit smestrategy.net or click the link in the description. We'd appreciate both of those things. And now get us back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. And it's what's a leader is supposed to develop those around them. One of the things that we do in our practice, we have our alignment where we do the strategic planning. We have our accountability, but part of that accountability and part of what good leaders do is supporting the development and growth of your people. So not just you developing them, but them developing everyone else, because otherwise you can't, I mean, I call it scale, but you can't grow any organization's capacity if everybody's at the same level. So actually I have a segue about that. In my experience, Working with smart people 
like really smart people requires a unique level of communication. So how do you as a leader lead really smart people who are at the top of their field, but also very intellectual? Have you found that there's a, a particular art or science in dealing with really, really smart intellectual people in organizations? Yeah, there's certainly a risk in doing it. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. And I look at it as having to almost separate the two sides. So if someone has a degree of technical expertise that we have to recognize and communicate with, but also how does that individual themselves like to receive knowledge? Some people are very verbal, some people are very written. You have to tease out what their preferred mechanism of receipt is and then separate it from their technical expertise. The difficulty that I find on a, on a leadership perspective is that sometimes people that I'm talking to can't separate their own technical expertise from their individual performance. So someone can be a master of their domain from a, you know, best cardiologist, best physician, very bright, well-respected, and make the assumption that that makes them good in all domains. Because I'm very smart in this, therefore I should be the most respected in leadership. And I think that's where a lot of physician leaders get tripped up on their first experience. Because they were experts in their, their field, they think it makes them an expert in the next field of leadership, which is does not at all. No, I get that. So, I mean, I expounding on that a little bit, you know, you've been in this field a long time. You deal with a lot of people. We're at a unique time in history where we have, you know, five, and I don't know if it's a unique time in history, but five different kind of demographic age groups. You've got boomers to millennials and somewhere in between. Have you found similarities or differences, you know, communicating with them and, and leading people at those different levels? What's your experience been with that? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I can even tell you situations where, where I got tripped up on it, <laughs> making the assumption that people people speak like I do. So as you said, I'm a little older in my career. I've been doing a little longer. I had a, a person who reported to me whose preferred mechanism of communication was nonverbal and non-face-to-face, preferred electronic communication, email, text, other systems that we had in the organization. And I really wasn't cognizant of this. You know, my preferred mechanism of communication is face-to-face. And I would frequently call this individual in, hey, can we talk? And I deliver whatever piece of news it was, you know, and it was totally nothing bad. And it was completely perceived as being yelled at, mm-hmm. that you know, the person was being disciplined because I wanted to talk to him face to face. And that wasn't the case at all. I just was talking similar to like we're doing right now, but not being aware of that, not clarifying it beforehand tripped me up. So um, there are definitely different mechanisms that people receive. The one thing I would say with it is don't assume. You know, it's easy to assume that people in a younger generation prefer electronic communication. People in an older generation may prefer face-to-face or verbal. Really clarify it because I've, I've seen this get tripped up both ways. And one of the things that I do in course of the annual evals is actually ask the question, how do you prefer to receive feedback verbally, electronically? It's a simple question. It just makes it all better. Yeah, and, I've, and going back to the, the spikes model, Setting and perception. 
you know, my neighbor right now who's 17 is making a bunch of noise through the floorboard, Zach, turning your music down. And if I text him and saying, yo, there's something, something, can we talk? He's going to jump to the worst thing uh, versus, you know, for you, if you're coaching somebody saying, hey, can we talk? Okay, I want to actually talk to you. What is your understanding of the situation? Are you walking into our meeting thinking that I'm going to yell at you or whatever? Or are you just recognizing, hey, we just need to work through this report and I just need your, your thoughts on that? Flip side, how have you found uh, communicating? What are the requirements for effective communication with people that are later in their career? And maybe you're even younger than they are. I, I think with everyone, this may get a little more extenuated. You know, extend appropriate respect. You know, because someone reports to you doesn't mean they're not expert in what they do. It doesn't mean that their positions are invalidated. And as you go on to someone who has a lot of career experience, but who may not be at the career level that you are, you need to recognize that. I think it's important to say, hey, you have expertise here. I may be younger. You do report to me. There's a difference in the relationship, but I don't want to invalidate your experience. Really recognizing that is important. I think that's, I mean, that's gold because that's the challenge. What I'm also seeing in the marketplace is you have people who've had senior leadership positions for a long time. They're kind of retiring and leaving. And then you have younger leaders in their thirties, forties, and fifties that have that demographic range. And then they need to lead differently. And all of leadership is communication. So I think it's so appropriate to recognize and acknowledge the experience while also having that respect of, of how you work together effectively. What is something that at this stage of your career you're kind of challenged with or you're taking on as your next level of growth and development for yourself in your leadership? Yeah, I, I think it's unique being a physician leader because it really is looking at complete non-clinical transformation, you know, like in a step out of things where normally people would be like, well, what did you want to be a doctor for if you're going to do that? And I think it really personally hit a level where you recognize the impact that you can have on the patients you're taking care of is larger by doing it at a system level than at an individual level. I've always loved being at the bedside, but now I truly understand I could do so much more for so many more people in a non-clinical role than, than right there by myself. There's so much change going on right now. I think just you know, being comfortable in that traditional VUCA environment or non-traditional, you know, this incredibly volatile environment, really positioning yourself for success in the future when we're in, as a society, as you said earlier, an environment that requires so much focus on the present. Everything is so, you know, frankly, nuts right now, it seems. But you still have to keep that eye to the future of let's get past today and tomorrow will be different. We need to focus on growth, next strategic initiatives, success in the future. Keeping that eye out there, you know, remains a challenge. The balance of today and tomorrow. I got that. Well, one of the things I just like, first of all, thank you for, for being on the podcast. One thing I want to acknowledge you for is, is the work that you do. And as I mentioned, you know, somebody's experience within palliative care is how you are treated during those situations can shape literally decades of your life on how you perceive that situation to go and, and how 
complete you are at, for example, somebody's passing or something like that. And so I share that for you, but as a medical professional, y'all make such a big difference. And, and Mike, I've never had to deal with you as a medical professional. I assert you've made a difference on tons of people's lives from that side of thing. Uh, I imagine you make a huge difference on people's lives from the leadership side of things. So just thank you for that and for what you do. And then for our listeners, you know, taking what Mike is sharing the spike model, you don't know the impact you're going to have on someone's life, on someone's career, on someone's like, home when you treat them with respect, with dignity, with clear communication and can support them in that transition. So really, I, I can't uh, overstate how much these frameworks will help you and how much of a difference and impact it'll have on someone's life. So Mike, again, for that contribution, I thank you as well. And I just appreciate you being a guest on, on today's show. Very welcome, Anthony. And thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Oh, it's my pleasure. By the way, where can people get a hold of you? Where they can, where can they connect? Where can they learn more about what you do uh, in your professional life? I'll share my LinkedIn profile with everybody. You can connect it through your, your distribution, but LinkedIn's the best site for me. Perfect. And it's Michael, L-A-L-O-R, but it sounds like L-A-Y-L-O-R. Exactly correct. Thank you. Excellent. So my guest today, Mike Laylor, who is the CMO at Trellis Supportive Care, be sure to connect with him, you know, just to be inspired by him. I'm inspired. So I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Anthony Taylor. This is the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Be sure to some share this episode with somebody you care about and subscribe because I care about you and I want to stick around. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. If you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful, and we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95, and you can get instant access to all of the videos, plus you can use the code PODCAST for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.